I'm not quite sure who's had a worse couple of days. The 49ers or the Democratic Party? Man. Medicare podcast coming to you in early days of February, February 4th, I believe the pod will drop. My name's Jay O. I'm the author of Maximize Your Medicare. The 2020-2021 edition is new. It is published by Allworth Press. It's available anywhere that you can buy a book. Online, on Amazon, of course. Retail, simply go to your bookstore They'll either have it in stock, or you can certainly order it from them right there. The official website for the book is www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. There are links and other official information right there on the site. It's a very important component of the book that enrollment to Medicare is actually getting harder. And the simple reason is that people are working beyond the age of 65 now. In other words, before, when full retirement age under Social Security was 65 years old, Medicare enrollment, Social Security enrollment coincided with one another. They occurred at the same time. That is no longer the case. Most people know this, meaning that full retirement age is 66 in a couple of months, and that will continue to increase up to 67 years old. 65 is the new 45. Financial requirements, you know, mean that people need to work longer because maybe you've not saved as much as you wanted to plan for retirement, etc., etc. The the list is long, and we're not going to really get into whether or not this is a good idea. That's a personal, private decision that people make. Nevertheless, they are making it, meaning that There are more people working beyond 65. That boat is not coming back ashore. The issue is that your Medicare eligibility date has not changed. And that throws a curveball into the entire decision-making process. Maximize Your Medicare is written. There are a couple of full chapters, actually, about basically this topic. Because what ends up happening is you may have had health insurance when you're 64, 64 and a half, and then you come up to 65, and then what are you to do if you're employed still? And it gets tricky. I'm not going to suggest it's not tricky. And the idea that, well, you just follow some boilerplate solution, some garden variety solution that you've heard your friend do or your older brother or sister, this is what they did, so you just do what they did. That stuff no longer really works. And the reason for that, and and what I mean by it doesn't really work, is it's just not the layup that it has been in the past. Okay, It's just not the same process because the market has changed. And by market, what I mean is underlying insurance may have changed. In addition to that, you know, there are other things such as IRMA, etc., etc. So, I mean, there are what I'm saying is that the number of different factors that need to be considered now has increased when compared to a few years ago. There are going to be two segments. The first segment is today's pod, which is going to be addressing the small employers. In other words, 
the factors to consider when you are working at a small employer. The next pod is going to be if what happens when you work at a large employer. For Medicare purposes, a small employer is one with 20 or fewer full-time employees. Oddly, this is not the same definition as what is the 50 employee, 50 actually equivalents of what defines large employer or small employer health insurance for, as far as employee employer provided plans, which is a kind of a crazy difference, right? Under Medicare, small employer and large employer is defined, the break line is 20 employees. Under the Affordable Care Act, large employer and small employer is 50 employees. And again, a no one asked me to create these rules and why it's this inconsistent. I'm sure it has to do with Department of Labor laws, but we're not going to get into that today. The bottom line here and the overriding fact is that if you work at a small employer, the sticker price, the full price of small employer plans is astronomically higher than what you could possibly purchase in the Medicare market, whether that be Medigap and certainly over Medicare Advantage, right? The premiums are higher. In addition to that, the terms and conditions of Medicare are very, very likely to be superior. And by superior is not only is the premium superior, i.e. lower, but in addition to that, the deductibles lower, the co-payments known and lower out-of-pocket maximums, very likely to be lower. Prescription drugs can be an issue. This is something to be very careful about because of the fact that Medicare has still the coverage gap, which is now wrongly named. It should really be called the coinsurance gap. And employer-provided plans do not have this. Okay, so you need to be careful. This is your first point of caution here, meaning that my caveat to the fact that employer-sponsored plans are usually worse than Medicare is wrong if your prescription costs are astronomic. And the simple reason can be, it can be because of the fact that there's this coverage gap when you're dealing with the Medicare market. Now, let's say this is not you which is that this, the donut hole or the coverage gap does not apply to you. If that's the case, then we are back to the base case, which is, let's say you're 64 years old. Employer-sponsored plan in the small business market, in the small employer market, easily for a very, very high quality plan, $1,500 a month. Medicare, you can see it, 144 for Part B, Medigap, $100 to $150 will cover it for all most of the states, unless you live in one of the states with very special enrollment rights like New York or very, very expensive states like Florida. But that pretty much cuts it. Prescription drug plan, $25 to $35. So you're talking about something like 
$250 to $300 for most states in the United States when you first turn 65 under Medigap and under Medicare Advantage, certainly lower than that in most cases, in the overwhelming number of cases. Okay, so you can see it right away. The sticker price for Medicare is superior to that of the small employer market, subject to the caveat I mentioned earlier. Nevertheless, what you have is people staying on their employer-sponsored plan because, well, my employer is, is kicking in for X dollars. Well, you actually do, and so you feel great. Hey, my employer is being, you know, very generous and they're paying. Yeah, but you still have to be comparing it to the benchmarks that I just mentioned. Meaning, yes, maybe they're paying 50%. Well, fifty percent of of fifteen hundred dollars is still hundred is still seven hundred fifty dollars. Still far more expensive than the two hundred and fifty dollars that I just mentioned. In addition to that, what you have is you've got far worse coverage, and this is getting worse. And here's why it is getting more difficult now. Right, that you can see it in the press, you can see it in your if you take a look at what your actual coverage is, that what has happened is that the deductibles continue to rise. The out-of-pocket maximum continue to be high. These are getting worse. Is this the insurance company's fault? You know, that is kind of debatable. Insurance is the calculated result of inputs. So as the cost of health care increases, then yes, the cost of health insurance under the small employers, small employer, small business insurance also increases. So it's getting weaker. So now what might have been the comparison in the past no longer may fit now. There can be extenuating circumstances. For example, you're married. Okay, so now you're, let's take this example. You're 66 years old and you stay on your small employer plan because you need to cover your spouse who is not yet Medicare eligible. This can be a reason. Don't get me wrong. This, this can be a reason. But what has changed now is the fact that the Affordable Care Act has the subsidies, which is APTC, you know, which is the Advanced Premium Tax Credit. So if your household income allows, the spouse may be able to get coverage under the Affordable Care Act subsidized by Medicaid expansion. So you may know if you follow it, maybe you don't follow it, but states have gradually adopted Medicare Medicaid expansion at a growing rate. One by one, those states who have not participated in the past have created legislation which basically either expands Medicaid so that people can be eligible for these APTCs or the tax credits. So now there's no shortcut, right? Because what used to be the math of money, meaning that, hey, there's no way that my spouse could be covered or my employer was covering my part of my spouse as well, that now has to be compared with something different, which has to be the whether or not the APTC applies to you. And there again, there's no shortcut to this. You need to actually add up the numbers. 
but you can see it, $3,000 a month is your sticker price if you're at a small employer, right? Let's just say, for example, you're a 66-year-old female and your 64-year-old spouse who is the spouse and you are covering your 64-year-old spouse, right, is $3,000 a month. Then you have what your responsibility is. And let's call that $1,500 a month. Now you need to compare it to your own individual Medicare and then your spouse's individual health insurance and whether or not that, the sum of those numbers, and compare it to the 1500 So now it gets even more tricky, right? And where can this be? Let's say your spouse is not well. You're married to a 64-year-old male who has a long list of medical conditions and requires individual care and has, you know, medical situations which make it necessary to see medical doctors all the time. Well, the thing that you need to compare then is the fact that when you are with us, if you are as a couple under your small employer provided plan, you are under both the family deductible, you may be, but you almost certainly have the family maximum out of pocket. And now you can see it gets complicated, right? Which is that now all of a sudden you may have exposed your household to a much higher cost, total financial cost to your household because the out-of-pocket maximum has you know, doubled under the employer-sponsored plan. Whereas if you had split the two into your individual Medicare for the 66-year-old female employee and the 64-year-old male, you may not have, you will have a lower, very likely to be a lower out-of-pocket maximum for the couple. This is just giving you an idea of some of the you know, nuances, some of the extra inputs that have now appeared. Finally, I will say under small employers, is that in many cases, small employers and the growing trend has been towards HSA. So, it used to be the case that the boilerplate situation, the garden variety approach, has been sign up for, for Part A, delay Part B, and stay with your employer-sponsored plan, and then have your spouse go on as your spouse in the employer-sponsored plan. The issue is okay, but the fact is, is that once you turn on Part A, and you have an HSA, which is a health savings account, you can no longer make contributions into your HSA or it'll be a tax violation. And this is a problem, right? Because what ends up happening is, let's say you're now 66 years old and you go to your Social Security Administration, you enroll in Part A, they're going to backdate your effect, your coverage date for Part A by six months. So now it's February, and let's say you did it today. What actually happens is your Medicare Part A coverage date actually gets backdated by six months. Okay, so let's just say, for example, you went today, 
and you thought your mar- your Part A date would read March 1. No, it's not going to. It's actually going to read sometime in 2019. And let's call that September 1, six months prior to March 1, right? 1, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4. So that makes it, you know, September 1. The problem is, is that the HSA maximum contribution is prorated by those eight months. So it's eight months times the maximum of 2019, meaning that if you've contributed more than that, you have you have a tax violation. And you don't actually know this until you see your Part A and then you reconcile your taxes. So you need to be careful here. I need to say that I'm not a tax accountant and you should probably consult with your CPA. It's a very, very little-known clause. It's almost never occurred in the past because, again, people didn't used to work beyond 65, and now they do. High-deductible plans with an HSA have become more popular in this time. So now, all of a sudden, you, you have this backdating of Part A. This becomes a problem. So that's it for small employers. In the next pod, I'll talk about large employers. There are going to be some nuances, of course, and some things to look out for. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, wherever you hear podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review. Give us a five-star rating. Thank you for listening. I'm Jay. Speak with you next time.